It's time now for super psychologist, Dr. Mara Carpell and your golden years. Good evening and welcome to Dr. Mara Carpell and your golden years this evening and every Sunday evening at 5 p.m. Central Time and at 6 p.m. Eastern Time right here on blogtalkradio.com and on drmaracarpell.com. And today is Sunday, October 2nd, 2022, and I'm psychologist Dr. Mara Carpell, and we are back live from beautiful Austin, Texas. And we have another great program in store for you today. Art Mendoza of Accomplice Entertainment, producer of this program, is here with us to make the show run smoothly as usual, of course. And in a little while after the break, we'll be joined once again by social justice professor of education, Dr. Zakia Gates. And this time, Dr. Gates joins us to discuss how social justice is viewed from a systemic angle and her recently published chapter, her first international publication, Academic Motivation of Black Women and Black Girls in Education, Challenging Maslow's and Bandora's Theory with a Bell Hooks Twist. So this should be a very interesting discussion. And along the way, well, later in the program, I'll continue with my discussion that I started a few weeks ago about the process of living a passionate life. After the program, you can hear this evening's program again by going to my website, and the link to the podcast will be posted later tonight along with any website links that we discuss on the program. And you can also hear the podcast in as soon as five minutes after the show ends by going directly to blogtalkradio.com, that's B-L-O-G, talkradio.com, slash your golden years and it'll also be available on apple podcasts and for information from previous programs and to listen to previous programs go to my website drmaricarpell.com you can also hear them all on blogtalkradio.com slash you golden years and all of the programs since we are on apple podcasts as well and for upcoming programs and events Follow me on Facebook, Dr. Mara Carpell, Your Golden Years. This evening's program is produced by Accomplice Entertainment, Postal Productions, and Psyched Up Productions, and sponsored by AMightyGoodTime.com. Wondering what to do after you're 50? How about having a mighty good time? It's free to search, free to post, and much more. Whether it's in person or virtual, anything can be found to connect with others. So be more active and start connecting with others. Go to amightygoodtime.com. That's amightygoodtime.com. All right, we're going to take a brief break. It'll be very brief, so don't go anywhere because we'll be back very soon with our guest, Sakia Gates. So don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. Super psychologist Dr. Mara Carpell will be back after words from our sponsors. 
Are you or a loved one a Medicare beneficiary? Help save you and Medicare money by stopping Medicare fraud. Fraud happens when Medicare is billed for services or supplies you never receive. There are three easy things you can do to fight fraud. Review your Medicare claims for accuracy, protect your personal information, and be on the lookout for suspicious activity. For more information or to report fraud, call Medicare at 1-800-MEDICARE or your local SHIP counselor at the Area Agency on Aging at 1-800-252-9240. Please visit us on the web at www.drmaricarpel.com. And we're back. If you're just joining us, this is Dr. Mara Carpell and your golden years right here on blogtalkradio.com and on drmaracarpell.com. And now joining us once again, we have social justice professor of education, Dr. Zakia Gates, and she's going to be talking about her recent publication. Welcome back, Zakia. Hello, Mara. How are you doing? I'm glad to be here this evening. I'm doing well. I'm so glad to hear your voice again. It's been a while. Yes, it has. <laughs> Long time. <laughs> so, so just just as a reminder, you've been on the show a few times before, but just as a reminder for you and also for listeners, there's a like a half second delay when we speak like this. So it's good to keep that in mind. Um, so why don't we start off as usual with talking about your background for listeners who might not have heard you on this program before. Okay, sure. Um, well, again, my name is Dr. Sakia Gates, and my background includes um, 19 years in the pre-K to 12 context where I taught across multiple content areas where English and language arts and reading was paramount. And I also have a decade of experience in higher education where I started as an adjunct instructor across multiple institutions of higher learning and now I've been an assistant professor of teacher education with a social justice lens that I use for the past four years where I teach undergraduate and graduate level students in methods courses, which include some developmental psychology, foundation courses, and courses that surround itself around policies in education. Um, that's my professional background. And personally, I am the proud mother of a beautiful 21-year-old daughter who's now her junior year in college. So that's mm. me professionally and personally. <laughs> right. Okay, great. So so I understand that you recently wrote a chapter in an international book that's on sale in 10 countries. Congratulations. Um, and can you tell us about that book and and what your what your chapter is about? Yes, sure. Well, first, thank you for the congrats, and I'm feeling very much elated about that news that this chapter is my first international publication. So, mm-hmm. this book is an edited it's an edited book, and it focuses around the school dropout issue, to which many believe it's primarily an American issue, but it's rather a global issue. So my chapter titled Academic Motivation of Black Women and Black Girls in Education, Challenging Maslow's and Bandura's Theory with a Bell Hooks Twist, is an array of literature that I collected and analyzed while writing this chapter in order for me to really explore what could or could not attribute, because nothing's been confirmed because it's all theoretical, what could or could not attribute to 
academic motivation more than just our understanding of these different theories in this chapter, but also understandings of other factors that we don't seem to discuss in education, especially among students of color, but more in particular, black women and black girls. So that's just some of the summary um, of the book. Well, actually of the chapter. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So why did you write the, this chapter, and, and why did you use the work of bell hooks as your framework? Oh, okay. Well, it's interesting how this came about because part of my research agenda and interest is to explore the experiences of black women and black girls, not only in societal context but also educational context. But I only did this through a literature review for this chapter. So as an extension of this chapter, my goal is to conduct an actual qualitative study on these same experiences in order to give black women and black girls more of that voice than rather through the literature because in most cases black women and black girls' experiences in both contexts are often shut out and also shut down. So I use Bell Hooks because her work in the academy and education discuss this whole thing about this liberating and theoretical and practical forms of engaged pedagogy where she highly argued and emphasized the importance of individuals to reach levels of self-actualization, which has been coined by Abraham Maslow, as we know, which stems Mm -hmm. from these roots of motivating factors that could or could not, again, attribute to success and academic achievement. So the way this all came about was, as we know, she passed December 15, 2021. Um, I received a call for chapter's announcement a month prior to her passing in November of 2021 regarding this edited book to which they also gave us a list of topics that we could actually select from. And I'm sitting in front of my computer, and I just could not think of anything, but I wanted to do a chapter, but I just couldn't figure out on what and why at that time. So it wasn't until a month later where, again, I'm sitting in front of my computer um, at my office on campus, and that's when I received the news that Bell Hooks passed. <laughs> mm-hmm. And as, as soon as I heard that, I did break down to tears because she was the only author where I really had a real connection with through her scholarship and her work as seeing education as a practice of freedom. So it wasn't until the next day when I went back to looking at this call for chapters to which my abstract was due actually on Christmas Day. So she passed December 15th, 10 days prior to that. And I Uh just couldn't think of anything. So it wasn't until the next day where something came over me (laughs) and something said select academic motivation, which was the first on the list. And the way I write things for research and publication, I write first and then I come up with a title later. That's just how my learning style is. For some reason this time, Due to her passing, I had a title first, and then I started to write. And I said I have to use um, her name as a framework in this because when I heard that she was so afraid that she was going to be forgotten, (laughs) that was through a colleague and friend of hers actually said Mm. this before her death, she was so afraid and she was upset that no one would remember her or her work. And I said, no, I have to do this. (laughs) I had I had to okay. do this, so that's how that all came about. Yeah. So, so for people who aren't familiar with the work of Bell Hooks, what what is her what is her framework? What is her, what was her orientation that you felt was really important to write about? 
Well, a couple things with um, Bell Hooks that really caught my eye, because um, she left behind such a legacy of work, but her work explored um, education through a liberating type of lens. Um, but she highly emphasized um, the importance of this engaged pedagogy where she actually argued that classrooms should be safe spaces where equitable opportunities are facilitated to push young minds to challenge systemic forms of racism and sexism, ableism, classism. So her authorship, um, Bell Hooks, actually purported these assertive ideologies and commonly critical aspects of education spaces for marginalized students. So she really wanted to, to emphasize this push for educators to be held to a higher moral standard within their practices to say, hey, listen, try to make this as responsive and relevant as possible so young minds are able to see society for exactly what it is and then what are they going to do to push against these systemic barriers and these issues that we currently experience. So that's mm -hmm. what I got from Bell Hooks. That's what I got from her. Okay, okay. So what made you decide to challenge these famous psychologists, Abraham Maslow and Albert Bandura, that we <laughs> we learned, <laughs> you know, in Psychology 101, their theories? Yes, and I've taught a developmental psychology course, and I, I knew to make it my mission to make sure that my students were able to see how their theories work and they're fine, but at the same time, there's two sides to every story, like there's two sides to every theory. So um, in looking at both Maslow and Bandura's work, to which we should have some knowledge of, one thing I noticed was Maslow's hierarchy of needs, to which I included in my chapter as a certain section, to which was called Maslow's hierarchy of inequity of needs, then <laughs> we would know that this humanistic view of motivation stems from this hierarchy that theorizes individuals must have all of the basic needs, food, water, clothing, shelter, air, and so forth, of life in order to reach their fullest potential of self-actualization. But if we take a sidebar to that to really think about when he said humanistic, hopefully he was discussing and talking about everyone. However, in some of the work I've seen with Maslow and what I've incorporated in this chapter was, did Maslow actually consider families who live in poverty? If we think about what's going on in Mississippi with the water or what happened in Flint, Michigan, or what just recently happened in Florida with the hurricanes, did he really consider if we have all these basic needs and we're fine to reach self-actualization and we should have no issues? So speaking specifically when it comes to black girls and black women, um, it's been noted that black girls and black women have a very strong racial identity, which correlates with academic motivation and achievement and curiosity. However, if you also consider more of an intersectional lens, looking at the work of Kimberly Crenshaw, to describe that there are many different identities that intersect with race for black women and black girls that actually can result in these certain exclusionary practices in society, then how do black women and black girls fit into academic motivation as far as their needs are being met when it comes to the tier of self-esteem, love, and belonging if there are systemic issues as outliers um, on the outside of their academic motivation. So that's the one mm -hmm. hand when it comes to Maslow. Um, when it comes to Bandor, you know, he had the social learning or social cognitive view. But more specifically, he had this reciprocal model where he believed 
personal factors such as our beliefs, um, environmental factors, what is reinforced in the environment, uh, which could attribute to behaviors or actions, which could be our achievements or motivation. So when I looked at that, I said, hmm, well, both Maslow and Bandora, who are white and male, and I'm going to assume straight, that's just my assumption, were mm-hmm. actually theorizing between, you know, through this single axis lens as to how they saw the world, which is primarily through a Western ideological perspective. And that's fine. I have no issue with that whatsoever. My challenge was challenging those theories um, to a certain degree, which is what I also learned from Bell Hooks, because Bell Hooks always wanted to counter and challenge the empire. And that's why I most admired about her. So this is why I used quotes from her works as – introductory to each paragraph and each section of my chapter that more so served as that framework to explain this even further. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, I'm going to assume that Abraham Maslow and Alba Bandura didn't have trouble getting their needs met, basic needs. Um, yes, and if, yeah. <laughs> so then they were free to then be act- self-actualized and motivated and you know, do great things and become famous psychologists. Um, but what, I guess, uh, what do we, what can be done for, to help motivate and people who are not in that situation where it's so easy to have needs met, the basic needs met? Right. Okay, so to answer that question, I'm going to speak specifically um, when it comes to the sociological context of black women and black girls, as you mm-hmm. know, as it relates to Bandor's theory when it comes to the environment. One thing I noticed that Bandor um, did not actually include in this environmental factor was not only the reinforcement aspect, but my question to him would have been, well, what about media? What role does media play when it comes to environmental factors and reinforcement when it comes to intrinsic or extrinsic motivation when it comes to Maslow, you know, how these two things work together. And one of the things that we've, we have known for maybe over 50 or 60 years, that the image of black women and black girls through media is not the most positive um, form of imagery that we have seen over the years. Um, some of the stigmas and stereotypes that have been associated and stuck with uh, black women and black girls has always been the quote-unquote welfare queen, and there was literature that actually supported mm-hmm. this. There's also been the strong black woman trope, other literature that has also um, supported this. Um, the, the bad girl, um, the, the aggressive one, whereas white women in imagery are seen as assertive, which assertive and aggressive are almost similar. <laughs> I guess it depends mm-hmm. on you know, who you use it for, right? So I don't think Bandura actually considered that and once we see things in media over and over and over again with those negative images and aspects, how does that then transform into how we see ourselves and whether or not if our self-esteem of love and belonging is actually heightened, as Maslow pointed out, right? You could, if Once you have this, mm-hmm. then you're fine. But there's some type of barrier even within those tiers of self-esteem, love, and belonging. Black women and black girls can have all the needs met in the world. But then the question is what happens to self-esteem and imagery as it relates to Bandura's theory about reinforcing things in, within the environment. All of that plays a role. 
into how black women and black girls see themselves, not only in society, but also within education, but also how their teachers see them as well. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Right, the halo effect, right? Yes, yes. Yeah, yeah. How, how they're seen because of the bias of their teachers. Um, yeah, I mean, it's kind of, we hear about it, like, right now, so these have become big issues when since they made like the Little Mermaid movie, the where the mermaid is black and people are freaking out about it. But little girls who look like her are thrilled. Yes, and it goes back to this whole you know this concept of what Mandora was talking about with the whole reciprocal model. Here we are in the environment, but also looking at media to which he missed. And that very example there. And, yes, people are um, freaking out, as, as you have put it, because of not seeing the Little Mermaid as a black girl. But people are taking it so serious to the point of um, it's a fictional character. So, you know, why, why, you know, like why the freak out? It was another freak out years ago when it came to Annie. We saw Annie mm. in the movie as a white girl, and then there was a movie about Ann, um, Annie with Jamie Foxx starred, played a brilliant role in that too, by the way, and this time Annie was a black girl. Mm-hmm. There was a freak out moment about that. So it, it really goes back to, again, how media sees black girls and black women, how teachers see black girls and black women, and then black girls in school, who can they really relate to? Who is going to be the one to take them seriously to say, okay, I know that you really want to learn here. So sometimes the, the behaviors help to explain this. And, again, one of those stereotypes that black girls have had has been the chip on the shoulder. You're always angry. You have a nasty attitude. Mm-hmm. But no one's taking the time to understand where this is coming from. So another stereotype that black girls have had has been um, the sassiness. She's, she's very sassy. She's very grown mm. for her age. That's another concept that constantly goes on where it's forcing black girls to grow up to be women too quickly, and we just won't let them be girls, to be little girls mm-hmm. who enjoy life. So that's one of the issues, too. <laughs> okay. Um, so what I'm, I'm going to ask you, what can be done about that? I mean, how do we, how do we change that? Well, the first thing is when you see images in media of black girls and black women, something has to come across the brain to say, why is this so common? That's the first part. And I know mm-hmm. that awareness. teachers, awareness. Yeah, just basic social awareness to ask yourself the question, mm-hmm. why am I seeing this so much? And it should bother everyone. If we are Human beings, as Maslow has said, this humanistic view, right, and teachers study this in school, you know, then teachers and the rest of society has to see black women and black girls as human beings and not just the quote-unquote stigma of the mule of society to take everything on her back. Black girls and black women are human beings who Mm -hmm. get upset, who get angry, and it's justified, who cry, (laughs) You know, no one wants a black uh-huh. girl or black woman to cry. We're allowed to cry. Let us feel what we want to feel. Validate our experiences. So one of the statements that I have for people to just remember is that when 
black girls and black women are telling about their experiences in society, in education, in every space that they go into, we're often gaslit. So for people mm-hmm. who don't gaslight, one of the things would actually be is, hmm, I hear what you're saying and I validate your experience. Could you elaborate on that more so I can understand? And it's mm-hmm. simple. You can have a conversation, you know, and it will really de-escalate a lot of problems that we see currently. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay, and that starts early. That starts in, in elementary education. I would even say pre-K, yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes. Mm-hmm. The, home environment, the home environment has to set it up. The home environment with African-American families has to have the reinforcement of not just black is beautiful because we get that. It has to be specific to their gender identity because sometimes when we say black is beautiful, most people think we're talking about men. And it has to be specific. Mm-hmm. You are a beautiful, beautiful black girl because of this your physicality, but also your heart and your mind and your spirit. That has to be a constant reinforcement in the home. Then that has to transfer into the classrooms. So our teachers not only need books of diversity, and I totally get that, right? But black girls need to see, as you said with the Little Mermaid, they need to see brown-skinned girls. They need to see heavily melanated black girls with their same hair texture, because image is mm-hmm. very, very important. Reflection of yourself is very important. And to see these characters in positive roles and not going back to what I said the stigma was, the welfare queen, the strong black trope, um, the sassiness, hands on the hips. Black girls and black just need to be seen just as women and as human beings who just want to exist. Mm-hmm. 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 Yeah. Yeah. So so what did you hope to accomplish by writing this chapter at the international level? Well, my hope and wish and prayer is um, that I'm able to attend annual conferences. And there was an annual conference um, that hosted the edited book, and it took place in Turkey. Unfortunately, I, I couldn't attend this year at a scheduling conflict. However, They do have these every year, so it is my hope next year to present my chapter in Turkey or even other countries that have educational conferences to ensure that our stories in education as black women and black girls are told. Someone has to tell the story, and Mm -hmm. I have to be the one to do it. (laughs) Okay. Yeah, wow, that's great. That's a really great aspiration, and I hope that that happens soon. Um. So, so how can listeners find your find the book and your chapter if they're interested? Sure. Sure. The listeners mm-hmm. can find the book on Amazon.com, and the mm-hmm. book is called "New Trends and Promising Directions in Modern Education: School Dropout." So, once they type that in on Amazon, it's the first book to actually come up, and they can actually get it on Kindle as well. Okay. All right. Um, I will be posting the link to that. So if people, you know, didn't get to write the whole title down, um, Mm -hmm. they could just later tonight, they could go to my uh, website post about the show and just click on the link and it'll take them to Amazon. Um, Is is the book mainly 
meant for educators or is it for, you know, anyone who's interested? Oh, I would say this is for anyone. I mean, I think anyone across any discipline really needs to um, read the book and look at the various chapters and actually see where it fits in for the discipline. So that's just my take on that. Okay, okay. So it's not written in education language <laughs> that somebody out of no. the field wouldn't understand. No, there there could be some chapters where, you know, it's written in certain types of education language, but other than that, no. I would say anyone should get this book. Okay, okay, great. Um, yeah, uh, well, I wish you the best of luck. I hope that you get to go to a conference soon. And, uh, you know, that would be awesome for you to get to travel and speak around the world about this. Yes, that is my hope, and I'm crossing fingers too. (laughs) Yeah. Well, thank you so much for for coming back on the show and talking about this. I think it's I think it's really important, and I I I hope that you know this um, this whole idea that you were talking about spreads beyond the education community. That people really need to understand why it's important, even like as you mentioned in media, or people to see themselves reflected back on the screen. That's really important. Yes, very important, especially in a more positive light than negative. Exactly. Right. And as a psychologist, I see that as, you know, not just, you know, educationally, but emotionally, that's a really important, a really important thing for self-esteem in children. So I'm glad that you brought that up. Yes, my um, pleasure. I, I had a pleasure talking about this tonight. <laughs> yes, yes, and let's stay in touch. There's always something to talk about, and let let me know what happens with your with your talk. Yes, okay. yes, I sure will. Yes. All right. Well, you take care now, and okay, um, you have do a the wonderful same. evening. Okay. All right. Okay. Bye bye. Bye bye. All right, we're going to take a brief break. Um, Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. Dr. Mara's book, The Passionate Life, Creating Vitality and Joy at Any Age, is now available on Kindle and in paperback at Amazon. Don't forget to listen to Dr. Mara Carpell and your golden years live from Austin, Texas, every Sunday on blogtalkradio.com. Please visit us on the web at www.drmaricarpel.com. All right, and we are back. If you're just joining us, this is Dr. Mara Carpel and your golden years right here on blogtalkradio.com and on um, drmaricarpel.com. And that was a very interesting discussion, and I, as I as I said, I will be posting the link to the book with um, Dr. Gates' chapter. And um, I think it's important for us all to be aware of this issue, um, especially with all of the things going on right now with people getting stirred up over, over you know, children's movies. Um, it's important for everyone to see themselves reflected back in these movies as children. So 
Um, anyway, on to my topic. It's I've been continuing um, over the course of the last few weeks with a discussion about the journey of um, finding your passion, and it's based on a talk that I gave uh, a couple of months ago. Uh, last week, I talked about um, stirring up your creativity and being curious in order to find your path of passion. Um, and then I think it's really important to keep in mind that passion is not all about you. It's about discovering what gifts you possess to bring more light into the world. And before I talk about that aspect of living with purpose and passion, I I want to read a little bit of this um, email that I received today, a newsletter from Dan Rather, remember the old news anchor? He's right here in Austin, Texas, and he has a uh, newsletter, and he wrote this with Elliot Kirshner. Um and I'm just going to read a little portion of it because I think it really, really fits with this whole um, process of living a passionate life. And it actually is perfect timing because it brings us to the next part of this talk. So, you know, a few a few paragraphs down into the newsletter, he writes, um, today, we hope to inspire you to stop for a moment to look around. Hopefully you're in a place where you can see some of the beauty and joy of life and our world. We find it in people helping each other in times of need. We find it in time spent with loved ones and friends. We find it in going for a walk, tending a garden, reading a book, or just staring out the window. We hear it in a favorite piece of music. We smell it from something baking in the oven. We feel it with the wind on our face. So they say, that is our message this Sunday. We hope you take a moment for yourself today and in the week ahead. Life is full of its pain, but we must find those moments of joy, of connectedness, of togetherness, of beauty. Please take care of you. And I just love this because those are the very things that I've been talking about as the pieces of living a life with passion, that it's not just finding something that we enjoy doing, although that is a big part of it. It's not an unimportant part, but it's not the only part. It's also about helping each other um, and connecting with people. And going for a walk and looking at the beauty around you and taking time to listen to your heart's desires, um, tending a garden, reading a book, just staring out the window, all of those things I've talked about where you just quiet your mind so that you can actually hear what your heart is saying to you and you can connect with the beauty that's in the world even though there's a lot of pain in the world, there is also beauty. And when we can be part of the change in helping people who are in pain and at the same time being able to experience joy, 
and noticing beauty, that's living a passionate life. So that brings us to the next part of the journey, doing what you love, but filling the world with your light, finding what your gift is or what your gifts are. You might have many of them and using them to bring more light into the world to help other people to feel joy. When you can bring joy into the world so that other people can feel joy and it's not just you holding on to your own joyfulness, then your joy expands. That's when you feel passion. That's when you feel a sense of purpose. And I've asked this question before on this program to ask yourself, what can you do to bring more light into the world? What do you have that helps to bring more light into the world? What gift do you have? How might you find a way to help someone you know or someone you don't know? It could be as simple as a phone call, smile. These can be the greatest gifts. Or you can join an organization that's dear to you. You can show compassion and generosity to other people and to animals and plants and the earth. It's really not possible to sustain passion without having compassion, both for ourselves, which we talked about a few weeks ago, and for other people. And the research has found actually that, you know, in a scientific way, that generosity can be more effective than taking an antidepressant for increasing our feeling of well-being. So I'm not telling you if you're on antidepressants to get off your antidepressant. I, it, You didn't hear that here. But what I am saying is that the research has shown that um, doing things that are generous and showing compassion can actually time possibly make it less necessary to take as much antidepressant that you're taking or maybe you won't need it at all at some point. Um, Generosity and compassion has been found to improve your mood, your feeling of self-worth, your ability to learn, your memory, your sleep, and it improves your health. So that's pretty significant. In fact, the research um, by Dr. Sonia Lubomirsky, who's at the University of California, has found that acting in a kind manner increases the serotonin in our brain. Now, the serotonin is that neurotransmitter that antidepressants are um, used to increase in our brain. Um, so they are that that neurotransmitter is responsible for improving our mood, our energy, helping us with our sleep, um, increasing our sharpness of thought, and it even helps our digestion and our physical health. So that's why I said that it can be as powerful or more powerful than an antidepressant because. When you act in a kind manner, you're actually releasing um, more of the natural neurotransmitter of serotonin that works even more effectively than a 
an artificial um, means of increasing serotonin. In her study of random acts of kindness, Dr. Lubomirsky found that students who participated in her study, well, this is how it went, students who participated in her study were asked to commit five random acts of kindness per week over a six-week period. And what she found was at the end of the study, these students were found to have an increase of 41.66% in their level of happiness, how they rated their own happiness. And if you listen to this program frequently, then you've heard me talk about the Mother Teresa effect. There was a study that found that um, when people viewed videos of Mother Teresa helping other people, they had an increase of immunoglobin A, which is our own immune-boosting chemical that helps us to fight off diseases and um, infections. So watching other people do kind acts can have an effect on our own physical health. So when you behave in a kind way and you show compassion, you're not only helping the person who you're showing compassion towards, you're not only helping yourself by improving, increasing the serotonin level in your body, but you're also helping anybody who sees you do that act. And you might have had that experience when you are on uh, social media and you've been to these videos of watching people do kind things or watching people take care of animals and dogs and cats and watching animals taking care of each other you might notice that you start to feel really happy. And that is actually a real effect, that your body is releasing these um, chemicals that are improving your happiness and improving your health. More research has found that people who volunteer, um, who act generously and give their time, have um, improved health physical health, they have an increase of the endorphins, those natural mood-elevating and pain-reducing chemicals that reduce pain. And volunteering has been correlated with decreased symptoms of stress, decreased pain symptoms, and better sleep. And that has been coined, that phenomenon has been coined the helper's high. And you might notice that when you do something to help another person, that you feel like this elevation of your feeling, you can feel your your heart feels like it expands. That's a real thing. You are releasing chemicals that improve your mood and give you that feeling, and they actually um, help with your physical health. So... I'm going to stop with that um, that point that um, doing acts of kindness, showing compassion, helping to make changes in your community, 
volunteering to help neighbors in or friends or strangers in need. All of these add purpose to your life and they help you to feel that sense of passion. And they may end up being that path, the path that you're looking for, that passionate path, whatever activity it is where you're helping other people, or it may be the the act that leads you to whatever is your path. But it all contributes to living a passionate life and, it, and because passion is more than just enjoyment, but it's purpose. So um, next week I will talk about um, dealing with the naysayers, the people who criticize you for following your passion and your own inner troll. So we'll talk about that next time. And because we don't have a musician this evening, we're going to end a little early. And um, let me let you know what's coming up next week, um, aside from my continuation of this topic and to inner trolls and outer trolls. Um, next week, October 9th, we'll be back with another live show from right here in Austin, Texas. And we'll be joined by Bill Davis of the Single Payer Action Network. And Bill will talk about Medicare for All. There's a lot of confusion about what it is, and there's a lot of concerns about it. Um, but Bill's going to break it down for us. He's going to tell us what it is, what are the benefits, how he'll address some of the concerns, and talk about um, how they would be addressed if this single-payer it would be called single payer health care. Um, and he's going to fill us in on that. I have a lot of questions too. And then we'll get to hear the twins. They'll be back, Ruben and Minerva, in Bay of Vendettas. And this time they're going to talk about one of the most populated cities in the world, Mexico City. And if you want to hear tonight's program again and read the information from the show and get the links that we talked about on the program that we talked about in my interview with Dr. Gates, um, you can go to my website, drmaricarpel.com, and the link to the podcast will be posted there as well, and all of those links will be posted later tonight. You can also hear this evening's program again in as soon as five minutes from now by going directly to Blog Talk Radio, B-L-O-G, talkradio.com slash your golden years. And if you have Apple Podcasts, you can hear this show in five minutes on Apple Podcasts as well. Be sure to follow me on Facebook, Dr. Mara Carpell, your golden years. I have some events coming up. Um, you can also find out about blogs that I'm posting this week and future shows. So Dr. Mara Carpell, Your Golden Years on Facebook. This evening's program is produced, was produced by Accomplice Entertainment, Postal Productions, and Psyched Productions, and sponsored by AMightyGoodTime.com. Thank you to my guest, Dr. Zakia Gates, and thank you to Art. Thank you all for listening. Have a peaceful night and inspiring week. And remember, youth has no age.
Good night, everyone. Stay safe. guidance offered by Dr. Carpell is not intended to replace the advice of your own physician or mental health specialist. Neither Dr. Carpell, her sponsors, nor this station assumes responsibility for the misuse of any of the information given on this show.